Hi, my name's Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Friday the 22nd of September. Coming up in today's show, I've got a really interesting interview with Andy Egan from the Felix Group, uh, which is a AIM-listed uh, business, uh, listed on the London stock market for growing businesses. And there's some interesting um, advice and insight on how to grow your business and indeed um, how to take a business towards a, a public flotation. So um, great advice from the chief executive of an AIM company who was once a stuntman. So he, he went from stuntman to stock market. So more on that very, very shortly. And uh, just in case, uh, I do get new listeners occasionally, quite a few occasionally. And uh, I just thought I'd say, well, you know, uh, Small Biz Pod, what is it? Well, it is a podcast really designed to inspire uh, and inform anyone interested in small business, uh, anyone interested in starting their own business, or anyone with an entrepreneurial bone in their body, or even just those who like hearing fascinating stories and advice from people who've, who've done that successfully. So... Um, I hope you enjoy the show. If you're new, welcome. Um, you can always comment, which I very much appreciate, just by dropping me an email at alex at smallbizpod.co.uk or you can uh, comment on the blog at smallbizpod.co.uk or indeed leave an audio comment. No audio comments this week, but uh, we've had quite a few over the, the past few weeks. So uh, if you do want to put microphone to mouth, please feel free. One other quick thing before I go into the interview with Andy Egan. Um, I'm one of the organisers of the UK's only conference dedicated to podcasting. The second one, the first one happened last year. second one is on its way, 18th of November, Saturday the 18th of November, in London. Um, if you are interested, keep an eye on podcastcon.co.uk, the website, and uh, there'll be some announcements over the next two or three days about details for this year's conference and it'd be really really great to see some listeners there so keep an eye out for that but now let's go straight into my interview with Andy okay well it's not very often that on small biz pod um, I interview a former stuntman um, well in fact uh, I don't think I've ever interviewed a former stuntman on Small Biz Pod. But today, um, I'm very pleased to say that we're interviewing Andy Egan, who um, was a stuntman and is also an extraordinary entrepreneur who has um, launched his company, which is the Felix Group, um, on AIM. Um, so he's, he's gone from stuntman to stock, stock market. And um, AIM, for, for listeners who maybe aren't familiar, is the, uh, the, stock, the, the London Stock Exchange's stock market for, for growing businesses, open to international businesses around the world. Um, so, Andy Egan, uh, welcome to Small Biz Pod. Thank you very much indeed. So, uh, let's get the, uh, the, the stuntman shenanigans out of the way first. <laughs> Isn't that the training for every chief executive of PLC? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I suppose there is a, there is, there, there's a connection in that in the, there is a, a familiarity with risk, um, but uh, ensuring that you're not endangering your life as a stuntman. And I guess the same applies when you're running a business. So, tell us a little bit about, about, about that, those beginnings. 
the stunts were quite interesting, actually, because it was in the 80s, in the heyday of um, the previous round of PLC floats. So we got involved in everything from the BT, the BA, the BP floats. And my job as a stuntman was to get them on television or in different forms of media by doing wacky, zany things um, as often as I possibly could. Okay. Um, my career ended in stunts when a big firework display uh, went off early and blew off half my left hand. But Ooh. to be honest... <laughs> As has been said by many fund managers when I've done the rounds in uh, in the city, yeah. that you know you're a man who chose a career where you know you're not going to stop till you end up dead or maimed, <laughs> which is quite an unusual angle to come from when you're asking us for seven million pounds. Yeah. Um, but at least they know that even if it gets sticky, you're not going to give up because uh, the, the mental attitude is, you know, I'll get there somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now uh, the Felix Group. I mean, in essence, uh, it's. Uh, an innovative sales and promotions company, but, it, but it's also got some quite interesting technologies. Tell us a little bit about um, what it is your business does. Okay, what happened was I was doing my stunts and then I had uh, the bad accident and mm. it was very bad. I mean, I broke everything apart from the neck and my back yeah. uh, and I blew half my left hand off. <laughs> so as a result, it makes you not really that reliable for stunt work because, of course, it's teamwork and you yeah. do want me on the end of a rope hanging you. <laughs> um, if I've only got one finger holding it. Um, so I moved into publicity stunts and one of my projects as a publicity stunt was for a major UK theme park who had developed uh, a beautiful Disney STV ad which said, come and see us, and ended with phone for free brochure. Mm -hmm. And they forgot to say, hey, kids, when you see the motorway sign, we're still an hour and a half in the motorway, and it rains a lot. But lots of people phoned for the free brochure, and they didn't have the budget to pay for the brochure, so they asked me whether I could raise sponsorship for them. And I'd gone from stunts to publicity stunts, and from publicity stunts and sponsorship. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to get you one pound on per brochure unless I can find a different mechanic to pay for it. And I started researching premium rate. Yeah. And premium rate at the time was uh, in its infancy. And I'd done the stunts previously on the Late Late Breakfast Show with Noel Edmonds okay. in the 80s. And whenever Noel had asked a daft question, we made £75,000 in 15 minutes. <laughs> and the reason why we only made £75,000 in 15 minutes was that was all the lines that were at BT that could actually take the calls. Yeah. So that moved on. I thought, I wonder if we could actually change the number on the TV ad and actually charge you £1.50 to actually get your brochure, but give you a child's ticket worth five ninety five, I think it was at the time. Yeah. So you got a return. Or had the sex industry ruin the opportunity to use premium rates? Because mm. going back to 9899, if you remember, it was still 0898. Yeah, yeah. And that was the number that was perceived as CD and yeah. Juicy Lucy Lecture and 0898. I don't know why I remember that. Seems familiar to me, rather oddly. <laughs> oh, you remember it? Yeah. Um, so I did some research, and, and three things happened at that point. One was, uh, off tell as it was, uh, dropped 0898 and introduced 21 different numbers, 0906, 0905, 0845, numbers you all know now. Yeah. But actually, it confused everybody. And what it did, it took the sting out of any one particular number. So with one piece of catch-all legislation, they actually decided to uh, say, whenever you use a premium rate number, you have to say, and again, something you're very familiar with now, bill pay submission, cost of the call, all the things you see on anything yeah. from who wants to be a millionaire to the Hewlett-Packard helpline. Yeah. 
The other thing that happened was Philip Schofield at the time was running a Saturday morning kids show called Going Live, and the BBC started using premium rates on that show. Mm-hmm. Admittedly only at 10p and 25p, but it was still premium rate, and they had to say cost the call and bill based motion, etc., etc. So we decided we could change this ad and actually go with it. Anyway, we made over £700,000 in three weeks for them. Oof. Gave them the budget for the brochures, and I got a profit, and they got a profit, so that yeah. was great. And I thought, what a brilliant business model. Your BT is your bank. You get paid a week on Friday for your work this week. You have no bad debt. Mm. So I wanted to invent a way of actually, you know, a reason for you to call my premium rate number that was not seedy and, and not on the shady end of the premium rate market, yeah. which at the time there was a lot of that going on. And I came up with a concept which in the end became called Everyone's a Winner, where you phone the number. It will be a four mi- uh, sorry, a three-minute call at £1.50, so it'll cost you a maximum of £4.50. Yeah. But you're guaranteed to win at least double. So therefore, a minimum of nine pounds, up to fifteen thousand pounds. Yeah. So we relied heavily on sponsorship and a fixed actuarial model as to how I could afford all these prizes. But it worked. But issues happened around the Lotteries Act was changing, the Gaming Act was changing, the National Lottery had been launched, and so the change the rules. It was just getting complicated. Mm-hmm. So literally, we stopped that completely, and I invented a terminal or kiosk version of it. And the idea was to launch it in the pub sector. Yeah. Time moves on, it's taken us literally, 99 I invented it, 2002 we became a limited company, uh, March 04 we listed on AIM, and it's only this year we've started finishing our tests and rolling out in Angvar our machines. Yeah. Our machine to be compliant needed to have a broadband line. Okay. It's live, so actually it's a dumb terminal, and what it does, it gives and takes messages, yeah. and just for compliance that stops us being a controlled gaming machine. Mm-hmm. But actually what it means is that the machine was live, therefore actually I could authorize or I could check information, validate information live. So I thought there must be other applications for that. So what we've become going full circle seven years on is an aimlisted company that is aiming to be the largest digital retailer um, in the UK and then onwards from there. So therefore the definition of a digital retailer, someone says now what do you do, we're a digital retailer. Mm. Everyone's a winner of the business philosophy. Whatever you buy from us, you're always guaranteed to get more. Uh, you might be that you buy a, a download a ringtone or a piece of music, and you might get two or a free ringtone or a whatever, but you're always going to get more than you spend. Yeah. And then I thought, well, if I've got a piece of hardware that's doing downloads, I could do other things as well. So our product, which is now called the Maxbox, mm-hmm. has a cash machine on it, an ATM. Yeah. It has photo processing. It has uh, ringtones. It has mobile top-up. It has a jukebox if it's in a pub environment. Yeah. It has downloading of music which we're now about to white label with high street retailers. They can have a download club, which, of course, is better than a a Nectar card. You'll end up with a card where the children might be able to get a credit of £10 from Granny for their birthday or whatever and download music or pods or podcasts or or whatever else. Mm. It's interesting. Um, let's just, well, there's one thing, uh, uh, superficially, um, and without going into all of the actuarial detail, but superficially... um, where, how is the money made here? Um, because if you are giving okay. something away that is of a greater value than, than uh, the consumer or the customer is in essence being charged for, how, how does that all work out financially? Okay, the principle of it is that most of the prizes must be given, donated or cost as pennies. Okay. So therefore, a predominant part of our prize bank, as we call it, are products which may not be widgets, they may be bums on seats. Yeah. So to give you an example, if you win a free round of golf off us, um, you want that, you've chosen it, because if you didn't like it, on anything you do, you get five opportunities to swap. Yeah. That's just so we're not a lottery. But actually, so you've chosen a round of golf. There are 750 courses around the country. 
Mm-hmm. And one of them, for example, just to use one example, is the Belfry in the Midlands, yeah. which is a Ryder Cup course. Now, that's £130 a round. Yeah. The ticket is unconditional, and that costs me three pence. Yeah, okay. Now, the reason why I'm able to do that is because they are sure of their own product. And without me making it conditional, they, are, they know their own product. And they know, unless you're Billy Nomades, you will go with one or three people. Yeah. Because that's where golf works. You could go on your own, no problem at all, but you'll probably take one or three people. Yeah, yeah. Because you've driven to the Belfry, you will then buy, or you may buy lunch before or dinner afterwards, and one or two of your guests may go into the pro shop. Yeah. So I can deliver them four or five hundred pounds of gross revenue for giving you a free walk around the tea time that was already empty. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that then works with cinemas. Because the machine is live, it doesn't save two free cinema tickets, it will actually list the films. So if you choose, say, two tickets for Leicester Square Cinema for uh, Star Wars. Mm. The reason why Star Wars has appeared on the screen is because it's paying 70% full houses. I'll translate that, 30% empty. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so to put two bums on seats on Saturday night, peak time, you think, that's brilliant, I haven't spent a penny. Yeah. But of course, you will buy the nachos, the soft drinks, the sweets, yeah, yeah. of course, that's where their profit is. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a quantity of those types of prizes. And what we do is, even if the prizes cost us nothing, we have a fixed amount we budget per prize and therefore, that gives me the budget to spend on the higher value prizes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's a, it's a <coughs> sophisticated. It's it logical at the start. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I just, I just thought we'd, we'd clear that up because on, on initial hearing or reading, the, the first thing is, hmm, how does that, how does that yeah, make it any too money? Good to be true. Yeah, no, no, but that, it's a, it's a, it's a, I suppose quite a, a, a common marketing method, but applied in um, a, an innovative way. It is, and, and to be honest, that is my biggest problem in the world. I mean, as a company, we're very strong, we're aim-listed, we've cashed the bank, we've no debt, we're rolling out thousands of machines, so in theory you think, well, what's the problem? Yeah. Well, the problem is the message to the consumer is very complicated. Mm. It's not complicated to explain what it is, it's complicated to educate them that it's not a con, it's not a scam. Yeah. I can't put a full-page ad in the Sun, the Star, the Mirror, the Mail, the Express, saying, we're really nice guys at Felix, the Max Box is honourable, it does pay out, it's genuine, yeah. I can only earn that reputation. Yeah. And to get the reputation, I need to create critical mass so that actually the most cynical people become my sales reps and say, do you know what, I thought that, but actually I did it and I want a telly or I want a yeah. weekend break or I want a whatever it is I want. Absolutely. Of course, I mean, entering the, the paid-for ATM market is an interesting move. I, for my sins, used to work in banking at a time when the banks tried to sneak in charges for, for ATMs and got hammered. And there is quite a lot of controversy, there has been quite a lot of controversy around um, paying um, what are known as convenience ATMs. Yeah. But your model, I guess, um, potentially offers a, a solution to, to that particular problem. It does, but having said that, funnily enough, a large percentage, I mean, over 80% of our ATMs will be free anyway. Yeah. And the difference between, I mean, why would you use a a Maxbox ATM rather than your traditional HSBC ATM? Hmm. And the answer to that is, uh, you use it in the normal way, and where it normally would say, do you want a receipt? And the reason why it says that is they want to save the paper because it's a consumer item for the bank. Mm -hmm. Ours says, choose your reward. And where it would normally say in the cash machine, you know, choose £10, £20, £50, £100 or whatever, those buttons now say £3 off at Sainsbury's or 250 at DFS or 150 at Thomas Cook. Yeah. And you choose which voucher you want. Therefore, there's more chance of you using it. But you still haven't paid any money to get your money. Now, the way that works is if you have a surcharging machine in the UK, the national average is 17 transactions per day. Mm. If you have a non-surcharging machine, you get five to eight times as many transactions yeah. a day. 
And although it's free, we do get a, uh, a transaction charge from the bank. It's a nominal amount. But because yeah. there's five to eight times as many transactions, it actually equals out at the end of the year. Yeah. The problem comes, if I was going to put one in your local pub, there physically may not be five to eight times as many people to give me enough transactions mm. to make it work. Mm. Therefore, it is the venue's choice whether they chose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, if we are charging £1.51 because that's what the venue wants to do, you're still going to get, because it's in everyone's winner philosophy, always at least twice as much back. Yeah. Now, for example, if I give you £250 off a of DFS just for getting 20 quid out, that's fantastic. Yeah. But except it's not if you don't want a sofa. Mm. If you don't, you think, yeah, yeah, fine, A, I don't want a sofa, and B, I've got to add another £1,000 to this. Yeah. So you might say, well, I'd rather, I know that's worth 250 but I'd rather take £3 at Sainsbury's because that's as good as cash to me. I'm going to buy my lunch from there, you know. And it's £3, not £3 if you spend 50 Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you spend £4.50, you owe £1.50, simple as that. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of reward to utilise our machine, it, it, it's a form of commercial bribery, really. What I'm actually doing is vending sales promotions, but making it feel like you won something. Yeah. By allowing yeah. you to swap it, what I'm doing is um, ensuring I don't fall foul of any things like lottery regulations. If I just gave you one voucher, that was a lucky dip. You didn't know what you were going yeah. to get. Yeah. If you've chosen this, it's no longer a lucky dip. But also, also from a consumer's point of view, it does, it does feel like they're getting a choice of something they want rather than receiving something Correct. they don't want. Correct. Yeah. Um, let's just move on a little bit and to, to talk about some sort of practicalities of developing a business from early beginnings and, and getting listed on, on AIM, a stock market, in essence. Um, how did you find the? Well, I mean, how did you how did you grow the business um, to get to that point? When did you decide that you were ready for aim? And um, what what type of advice did you did you get? Um, it's, it's a three part answer. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's a long. I should never ask <laughs> no, no, three right. three part questions. In, in the first place, it was. I mean, in in typical sort of, I do hate the phrase, but you get labelled with these terms like entrepreneur, etc. I. Uh, frightened my wife to death and we had two young children and I sold everything uh, yeah. house a whole lot cars everything and put it into this project yeah so much so at the start without any exaggeration I was hitching to meetings in London <laughs> Cheshire <laughs> uh, which is fine except one day I got stuck in the May Day riots and got cordoned off for seven hours and spread <laughs> by the fire brigade but that's another story and then I had to hitch all the way back sopping wet but it'll be good for a book one day I suppose um, so that's what you do. So the only way you can do it at the first, in the first instance. Yeah. And um, that was when I was trying to make the maths work of how do I give twice as much back every time. Yeah. Then we hit legal problems, which dragged it down, dragged it down. So I brought in some to use, you know, a angel investors is a very loose term because angel investors is a technical term, but I just mean, you know, sort of friends and yes. acquaintances and things like that. Not not true angel investors. Yeah. And it was more a case of every few months getting a bit more money and convincing them that the story was growing. Yeah. And then it gets to the point of you deciding, okay, this works. And the biggest problem then is marketing. Mm -hmm. So we partnered with a number of marketing partners, and they paid for the advertising. This is on the premium rate side, and we would do a revenue split. And then once I developed the kiosk side, I realized I was going to need an awful lot more money. So I set about then putting a plan together to show the potential in the market. And the problem with showing the potential in the market that doesn't exist mm. is it's very hard to prove it. Mm. Ergo, it's also very hard for them to disprove it. Mm -hmm. So in the end, it's back to the true adage that any fund manager will tell you they back people. And I got a good team together. I got two guys from the MOD to put my operations side together. I started protecting the IP of what we had. Yeah. And to show as much control and, and grip of it as we could, um, and hopefully to convince a few people to uh, buy into the story. 
uh, that's what happened. And when we first floated, we actually reversed into a cash shell, mm -hmm. uh, which was looking for uh, securing intellectual property rights. Okay. Because I'd actually invested money into protecting it, I, I fitted into their bag. Yeah. So we reversed into a cash shell in 2004. We have raised, uh, in traditional placings, seven, uh, no more than that, uh, nine million pounds since. Okay. Um, which has now got us in a situation where we've, you know, more than two years' money in the bank. Um, and because the machines are now finished, we're able to fund them in a different way. So we can now use off-balance sheet funding mechanics like receivable deals and things like yeah. that uh, to actually roll out the estate. So now we won't need to go back to the market to raise money, unless it was for acquisitions or something yeah, like yeah. that, yeah. but to, to roll out the estate. Yeah. And you've got a market cap now of about 23 million, is that right? Uh, we have. We, we were at 70 million earlier this year. And, and this is the downside of AIM, is, is communication. Yeah. They need to be fed with news all the time. And when you're developing a product, you just can't do that. Yeah. Because they don't want an update that is, and things are moving fine. They want to know you've signed this deal or you're installing machines there or you've got a funding deal. And, of course, that's the problem. And we had a deal with a high street bank um, where the memorandum of understanding we had lapsed. Mm -hmm. um, and by lapsed, I mean we'd come to the end of it, but we carried on with our negotiations, which we are still doing today. But it was read by two institutions in the city as collapsed, which, yeah. of course, is very different. Yeah, yeah. And we lost £45 million off our market cap in mm. 70 minutes. <laughs> the now, choice the of the stock exchange. Is, well, yeah. Exactly. It doesn't affect the business. No. As in, the business can still trade. Nothing's gone wrong with the Absolutely. business. Absolutely. But the impression on the outside is, oh, my God, they're going to go bust. And yes. so, as CEO, you spend the next week, two weeks, defending something which really doesn't need defending other than two yeah. plonkers misunderstood it. Yeah. Um, so that's been the hard thing. And we've kept our head down now. And we're, you know, when we release more information, the share price will grow again, as it should do. But it's... You can't magic it. You're under a lot of pressure from uh, somebody on ADVN. Put my mobile number. Um, you know, thank you. And if I do ever find you, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll find which bedroom your children are in. Um, but they did, and so you get thousands of calls from two, three in the morning, and people because they think that it's all falling. And you don't blame them because they've only got a fraction of the information. Yeah. And yeah. you, you know, you can only defend it to a point and say, as chief exec, I'm very comfortable and happy with where the company's going. And, and the frustration is, as a marketeer, you're dying to rave about it and say, now this is coming and that's coming. But of mm. course, you're not allowed to do that either because then you're hiding the, the value. Yeah, it, it's frustrating. But yeah. um, I think that the biggest advice I can give to anybody newly listed on AIM, your shares will go up when you list. Don't believe your own propaganda. Yeah. Um, they will come down either a bit or a lot, depending on what happens. But if your product is right, if you're... Uh, marketing is right. Once you're able to prove that it's in the marketplace, y your shares will come back up naturally again. So no, no regrets. No, no. Um, no whatsoever. The aim no. is the most spectacular market in the world. Yeah. I would not have been able to uh, get this company where it is without the aim market. I couldn't do it on a fully listed market. Yeah. I don't believe I could have done it on Offex. Um, it, it's a fantastic market. I think that's proven by the fact that the amount of foreign companies wanting to come onto aim now. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of regulation, but it isn't anything like as heavy as the full listing. Um, you still have, obviously, a lot of people to answer to. You have a lot more non-execs that are there to protect shareholders' interests. Yeah. Um, and that's right. But, you know, you, the non-execs I've got, and we've got two new ones started this month, have been fantastic because they've experienced in areas I haven't. I'm not, or I wasn't, I think to become, I suppose, I wasn't a corporate man. Yeah. So how you manage that information, whether it be good or bad news, I just want happily stand up, face the music and say, but of course, sometimes that's not what you do. It's managed in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's been a real education thing for me, and I've learned a hell of a lot in the last two years. Okay. Um, Andy Egan, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Andy's quite a character and, um, yeah, interesting, interesting story, that one. And um, some, some useful thoughts as well on how to grow your business, as I said, to, to take it towards um, a listing. Um, and it strikes me that I, I might do a, a few more interviews with AIM companies on a regular basis if I can contact their, their CEOs because uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to, to, to listeners who are growing a business to see where they can take it and how people have, 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 have you know, grown their business effectively. So um, definitely some, some inspiration there from that interview with Andy and I hope, hope you enjoyed it too. Um, on to some comments and emails. Um, firstly, because I always tend to forget them if they're added to the blog, but there was a, a comment from um, Andy on the, not Andy Egan, but a, a different Andy, on the uh, Small Biz Pod blog entry for the last podcast. And he says, uh, nice podcast, here's a tip, always interview more Irish people with their accents, even when they're talking about accounting, it sounds interesting. And he also gives a couple of links to um, some of his blogs and websites, which you might want to check out. He is a private investigator, amongst other things, as far as I can tell. Um, I do like a bit of the Blarney. Uh, love a good Irish accent, so I kind of, uh, I kind of agree with you, really, Andy. Um, I must, uh, I must search out those Irish entrepreneurs. So if there are any out there who would listen to the show, uh, do get in touch. Um, other than that, um, I had a, an interesting email from uh, Ian Gotts, who's CEO of a company called Nimbus. He says, nine years ago, I founded Nimbus, a software business on Im an, a, a software business and emerging market. As CEO, we've uh, grown from startup to $10 million revenue, but it's been tough, mainly because we're limited by the speed the market matures. Many of your list listeners must have the same issues. What's interesting is that the emerging market business model is completely different from the same but better market. The attached paper explains material for a podcast, perhaps. And um, he has sent me a, an interesting paper, which I have been reading called Why Killer Products Don't Sell. And I think there's definitely material there for a podcast. So we'll uh, thanks a lot for that, Ian. And we'll, we'll, we'll definitely come back to that. Um, other than that, I had a, uh, an email from uh, Nick Fogarty, who you may remember is a listener based currently in uh, Barcelona, I think, in Spain. Runs a company called Tendencia. And uh, he says, once again, great stuff with the podcast, particularly like the track at the end, the track at the end of Podcast 31. Just wanted to share a comment relating to new business ideas and a recent experience I had with product branding. Initially, I was clear in my mind about what which brand concept I thought was best. That said, I flicked this, along with another couple of options, out to 30 or so reasonably objective people for their opinions. They came back almost unanimously in favour of one of the alternate options. The point being that although I think it's important to have a clear idea of what you want in a business idea, it's also important to listen to others, to remain flexible and not cling onto an idea for dear life. In the light of this, perhaps an idea for a show could be based on effective market research. Uh, and uh, Nick, who is still struggling with Spanish, says, forgive me if you've already covered this. Well, in fact, I haven't um, covered market research on Small Biz Pod. And uh, much to my shame, really, um, I was approached by a very good marketing podcast called 
uh, research talk, uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that podcast, because um, the guy who runs that thought we could perhaps do research talk and small biz pod a, a joint um, live edition of the podcast where through Skype we have um, listeners collaborating and contributing to the show um, in real time. Uh, obviously, with it, we then record it and put it out as a podcast, but it would be an interesting experience. And I will get back in touch with him and we will sort something out if he's still willing to do that. So, yeah, good idea, Nick. Um, something that's been on my radar and something, again, that will be covered. Um, thanks also to well, uh, one or two listeners who are thinking about putting together some um, interviews and some contributions to the show. More of that um, later. And I'm looking forward to, to receiving anything that, that you know, anyone wants to uh, contribute to the show by way of interviews. If you can suss out how to record them and, and fire them my way as MP3 files, then um, that would be very, very great. Uh, be, be be really interesting to see what comes through. So uh, fingers crossed and good luck to those who are planning to contribute. OK, that just about brings me to the end of today's show. Uh, again, if you want to leave a comment, send me a comment, uh, alex at smallbizpod.co.uk. You can leave a message on the blog. Uh, if you phone me, actually, if you go to the blog, you'll see um, phone number and a Skype number. You can leave uh, an audio message on my answer phone, and I can just plug that through into uh, the computer, and uh, I'll play your comments, your audio comments, nice and easily uh, on the next show or two so uh, do feel free to do that so uh, music this week well electromancer is very 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 nearly a dead site much to my sadness i'm going to miss it lots i'm going to miss all the artists out there who are producing some really really excellent electronica so if any artists do listen to small biz pod do drop me an email to let me know where you're going to be putting your stuff whether it's on the uh, podcast um music network or uh, myspace or wherever um but in the meantime i thought as probably my last electromancer track on small biz pod after 31 episodes i'm going to play one of my favorite all-time artists from the site and that is chris rusu with um a track called uh, best in life 